This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Primal Screen, a show and podcast all about screen culture from movies on the big screen to whatever you're streaming. We are broadcasting tonight from the Triple R studios on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation. This is and always will be Aboriginal land. I'm your host, Flick Ford. And joining me in the studio tonight, making his primal screen debut, it's the editor of Metro Magazine, David Heslin. Hey, hey, David. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure, David. I can't believe it's taken this long. <laughs> and zooming in from Adelaide, we have screen lecturer at the University of South Australia and primal screen regular... Dr. Stuart Richards. Hey, Stewie. Hey, thanks for having me. So on tonight's show, we'll be speaking with ACME's Director of Experience and Engagement, Dr. Rit Romstead, about a upcoming exhibition at ACME titled Goddess, Power, Glamour, Rebellion. The exhibition opens this Wednesday and it's accompanied by a one-day conference, Being Seen on Screen, which is being presented in partnership with the Gina Davis Institute on Gender in Media. So stay tuned for that. And later tonight, we'll review Jersey Skolomowski. Skolomowski, maybe? Skolomowski. Thank you, David. <laughs> uh, can jury prize winning film EO about a melancholy donkey and his journey through life. Uh, and we'll finish off the hour with Broker, South Korean drama about uh, finding a family for an abandoned baby. And it's written and directed by Japanese filmmaker Hirokazu Kurita. Both films are currently screening at select cinemas around Australia. So it's been a bit of a strange day. Um, like many others, I woke up to the news that uh, Ryuchi Sakamoto had died. And outside of his work as an avant-garde musician, he was one of the most prolific and highly regarded film composers of all time. Uh, his composition debut was for Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, in which he also starred. And over the course of his career um, as a film composer, he worked with several iconic directors, including um, Bertolucci, Moldovar. De Palma and, and Oliver Stone. Um, there is a really excellent music doco called uh, Coda, which came out in 2017, I believe, um, that just details Sakamoto's work in screen and music. And it was my pick for the music doco special, and I'd highly recommend that listeners check that one out. And we'll be playing some of Sakamoto's music in tribute to the great composer tonight. Uh, it is also our first show celebrating April Amnesty for 2023. Uh, this is a time when we call upon listeners to show their support for Primal Screen and the station more generally uh, by subscribing, donating or gifting a subscription to a friend, a flatmate, a family member. Uh, you can even sign up your pet, which I have done in the past. And the theme for this year is the forget-me-not flower, which is a symbol of love, trust and respect. We are all volunteers here on Primal Screen. We do this every week of the year because we value community radio and we're committed to delivering an independent and an original voice in film criticism. Um, and in order to protect our independence, we do need community support. So if you're a fan of the show or you love any or all of the shows on the Triple R grid, please do head to rrr.org.au. Stewie, you were a primal screen, well, Plato's cave host long before me. 
What do you think is the best thing about being a Triple R subscriber? Well, I think it is about that fierce independence. Yeah. Where um, there are no, I guess, sort of commercial imperatives in terms of what's chosen, what's discussed, or the content of each episode of Primal Screen or back in my day, Plato's Cave. Um, but now that I've moved away from Melbourne, um, whenever I miss the city and miss its its culture and its heart, I always tune into Triple R. I'll probably have it playing in the background in my office. Um, just because for me, you know, Triple R really is that soul of Melbourne. Yeah. Um, the choice of music, it's cool, um, but also just that um, deep dive that it has into arts and culture. Um, and um, I'm really glad that you mentioned that everyone's volunteer-based um, because one thing that I remember when I was on Plato's Cave was just how much work it was. Yeah. It was a lot of work. I loved it. I loved every second of it, but it is a lot of work. Um, and I think if you are a regular listener to Triple R, I think it is important to subscribe because you've got to support that work mm. of the volunteers who put in a lot of work at the station. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's across the grid. You know, there's some fantastic um, talk shows, music shows, um, mm. kind of anything you really want to listen to is there. And yeah, it does take a tremendous amount of work each week to, to bring these and make them um, enjoyable and engaging. Um, David, what does Triple R mean for you? Well, I'd echo what uh, Stewie says. I think, um, you know, volunteer, um, yeah, arts work and, you know, everything we're doing in this community is, is so important. Um, I guess we live in a capitalist society um, where, you know, so much has a, a dollar sign on it. Mm. And, you know, a, a lot of the time it's not necessarily stuff that brings that much to our lives. Um, whereas, you know, the work that's, that's done by communities, you know, together, um, yeah, I think... I can think in so many different areas, um, you know, where that's important. And, yeah, I think Triple R is like an integral part of that. Yeah, 100%. And if you would like to subscribe or donate, please do head to rrr.org.au. Goddess, Power, Glamour and Rebellion is an upcoming exhibition at the Australian Centre of the Moving Image that celebrates the women and gender-transcending superstars who have shaped their own roles, took creative control and fought a system that has tried to exploit them. The exhibition is kicking off this Wednesday and to tell us more about it some of, and some of the like really exciting events that are accompanying it is the Director of Experience and Engagement, Dr Britt Romstad. Welcome to Primal Screen, Britt. Hello, thank you for having me. My pleasure. So Goddess Power Glamour Rebellion, firstly, fantastic title. Um, <laughs> screen icons like Marilyn Monroe come to mind. Um, and yeah. these women are so often presented as these glamorous figures, but there's also a tremendous amount of power in occupying the screen. Um, I'm reminded a bit of the work of film theorist Marianne Doan, who talks about the magnification of the face on screen um, as kind of this way in which it overwhelms us as the audience. Uh, what does goddess represent for you? Um, yeah, it's a really, it's such a fascinating and rich uh, topic, isn't it? It's interesting. We were talking for a long time about what the subtitle of the exhibition would be. We knew it would be goddess and we kind of debated internally around what were the things that would capture um, the stories that we were trying to tell in the exhibition and we ended up with yeah power glamour and rebellion and I guess 
that was really as a way of cutting through some of the some of the baggage, I guess, that we've got associated with the, with the idea of what a goddess is. And the exhibition sort of starts by telling the story of the construction of the screen goddess. And, you know, in many ways, that was a very conscious kind of capitalist tool, really, to market uh, these leading ladies by the studios. And often, you know, the focus, as you say, was on their beauty and their sex appeal. And I think the thing that we really wanted to do with um, with this exhibition was to focus on the other parts of them, you know, their power and their the rebellions that they came to embody. And often they're the things that have been written out of out of history. They're, they're not mm. the stories that we always tell. And I've, you know, in conversation with the, the lead curator for this show, Bethan Johnson, has talked about that title, Goddess as a provocation, really, to get us thinking about um, what what that means to each of us. And it, it's, it's actually pretty subjective. Mm. And I love the fact that you are focusing on actors because they often do get forgotten. You know, we, we talk about the male gaze of cinema, you know, Laura Mulvey. I, I know, like, a lot of those theories have since been um, brought into question or challenged in different ways, but this idea that actors can't have agency and can't be themselves agents of, of rebellion is, um, I think, really being challenged here, which is very exciting. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think that's part of their construction as passive objects in many ways. So it's that idea that um, there's a there's a richness to many of these performances that it it um, it transcends often even language, like how you can describe what's happening on the screen. But you watch a performance, and it it leaves you with something really. Um, lasting and mm. that comes down to the to the actor involved yeah absolutely yeah. now this the exhibition is a showcase of women and gender non-conforming stars of the screen and it covers an amazing breadth of work over several decades so let's yeah. dig into some of the people that you're <laughs> showcasing <laughs> um yeah so it's basically the you know the last well the history of film essentially <laughs> for the last 120 years so you know it's, it's hard to wrap that up in, a, in an exhibition um, and right up until contemporary times, it's it's really important to note though it's not it's not a um, definitive history. And really, what the curators have worked to do is to pull out some of those stories that can that can stand for more than just the one thing. Really, so um, yes, Marilyn Monroe is one of those. Um, iconic figures that's in there and there's been a real attempt I think again to go back to Marilyn she's one of those people who's so overdetermined. her story has been told so often and she's come to be you know shorthand really for now um outside of her beauty but her her kind of victimhood and mm. I think that there was a real deliberate attempt on the part of the curators to go back and go, well, that's not the full story, actually. There are other things happening there. So Marilyn's one of them. Um, we've got, um, there's a story around Marlena Dietrich um, and one of uh, her costumes, uh, her one of her white tuxedos, which I just saw this afternoon. I was very excited to finally see it. Um, we've got um, a section looking at anime Wong, and, and I'm, I'm sort of listing people, but it's it's... 
the the stories that will be told in each of these different sections it's kind of an intersection of the person the actor the role um the film it, and that will be that depends on the story being told so um yeah anime wong's story is probably uh one of the kind of more personal ones really mm. yeah and i really love i think a, a challenge that we have as uh, feminists and um, it comes up as a lot as a criticism of particularly Western feminism is this idea of it being mainly white privileged um, women who have a voice. And I was really delighted going through the program that I, you've made a, you know, the programmers have made an, a huge effort in, in um, breaking that down um, you know, you are the exhibition is is kind of about challenging some of those stereotypes, and it's also defined as an exploration of trailblazers, binary busters, agitators, and instigators, both on and off the screen. So, what are some of the ways in which these goddesses have disrupted screen culture? Um, well, that yeah, I mean, that will sort of depends on the story around them. So, for someone like um, Anna Mae Wong, I mean, she's pretty incredible. Um, she was working in Hollywood at a time when, you know, it was overtly racist and um, and she talked about that, you know. She was interviewed lamenting the lack of roles um, for her as an Asian-American woman and this idea that she was kind of trapped between the two worlds of being too Chinese and not Chinese enough. And, you know, she would miss out on parts um, playing Chinese playing a Chinese woman um, and the part would be given to someone who was Anglo mm. at that time. So, um, you know, she's she's one of the people. Another person that we highlight is um, Dorothy Dandridge, who was um, one of, you know, the first kind of big black movie star who was the first um, African-American woman nominated for a Best um, Actress Academy Award. And... Um, and she was another one that really uh, actively tackled this idea that black women in Hollywood should be relegated to play maids and kind of mammy roles, which was really mostly what was on offer at the time, uh, and and resisted that and had to fight really hard actually to get the role of um, the lead role of Carmen Jones in the film that she was finally nominated for, and it involved. Um, sort of busting into uh, Otto Preminger's office dressed as Carmen Jones to, to, to demonstrate that she could embody this role because everyone was sceptical, you know, that she could do it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're just two examples of women who were really um, railing against those, um, well, dominant uh, and, and constricting discourses. Mm. Um, the The... Sorry, Goddess is being uh, presented in partnership with the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media Studies, and and Gina Davis herself is here in Melbourne, which is huge is. news as yes. an ambassador of the exhibition. Um, what a fabulous collaboration! Firstly, um, yes. how did this actually come about, and and what is the focus of the D Gina Davis uh, Institute on Gender and Media? Yeah, um, well, it's yeah, it was a fantastic. I guess a, a synergy. So when um, when the exhibition was being curated by Beth and Johnson, um, she was looking at Thelma and Louise, and that's one of the films that is featured in Goddess. And there will be a couple of um, G 
Gina Davis's costumes from that film in the exhibition. And so she was she was thinking about Gina Davis and at the same time um, thinking about the connection with the Gina Davis Institute for Gender and Media. So the story behind that really is that many of us know that Gina Davis you know, is a is an award winning actor, and I and what happened was when she hit around forty, um, surprisingly, like many women, she experienced the fact that the roles started to dry up, um, and also she had a child, and suddenly, you know, it's that thing where you're bringing this person into the world, and you have to explain the world to them, and so they're watching films mm. and. Gina Davis is suddenly aware of, oh, my God, all the lead characters in these films are boys or, you know, male. So she um, essentially she funded a piece of research into representation across Hollywood and she gathered together a piece of data that she then took and um, and talked to studios about. And that really became um, the seed from which the Gina Davis Institute um came out of and so it's been it's functioned really as um a group that holds hollywood accountable and Mm. sets um targets and acts as yeah as advocacy for um more equity in terms of gendered representations and roles for um, women and girls it's really interesting hearing you touch upon some of the things that do prevent women from having a space in cinema like age, race, uh, sexuality. Mm. I was just thinking then about Michelle Yeoh and mm. her win, how glorious that was as a feeling. And all of the interviews with her touch upon some of the challenges that she faced. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it'd be really interesting to think about those recent events. And there's still a lot of work to do, but understanding the legacy of, of where this has come from as well that the exhibition is going to touch upon. It's also going to be accompanied by a one-day conference uh, being seen on screen, which is being presented, like I said, uh, in partnership with the Gina Davis Institute. Um, you've got some big names involved in the conference. Um, can you yes. quickly go through yep. some of those names? I know yes, <laughs> it's a long list. Sure. So um, the, it is a long list. So we've got, um, from the Gina Davis Institute, we've got Madeline Donono, who's the president and CEO of the Gina Davis Institute. So she'll be there. Um, and she will be at the start of the day, looking at doing a bit of a, a baseline, I guess, about where we are at right now in terms of gender and representation and diversity, actually. And um, she will be accompanied by um, Lisa French and um, Anusha Duray, who are both both part of the um, Gender Matters Task Force in Australia. So they'll be looking at kind of baseline um, representation, what's happening on our screens in terms of statistics really I think and data um and then it's it's interesting because all the things that you have just listed these are the things that the um the conference will be focusing on the first one of the first panels will be looking at diversity on screen and uh so we've got Pallavi Sharda the Indian Australian actor we've got um Kufa Abdulim the uh, Australian Muslim director and producer and Elaine Crombie um actor and director and writer, and it will be hosted that session by Jan Fran, and they'll be discussing, um, yeah, what it was like growing up and, and you know, watching watching TV and film and, you know, whether it reflected their experience, whether mm. they saw themselves um, in those places. So 
Um, then, of course, we've got Gina Davis. I shouldn't I, now I've, I've put that down the list. Come, I don't know why I Gina. start with Gina Davis. <laughs> um, so Gina's giving the keynote um, yeah. speech, and she'll really be talking about her experience um, and the importance of equality and diversity and inclusion on screen. And they're things that she's really, um, you know, she's lived the the reality of those things and put her her um, time and energy and money into, really. Mm. Um, And then there'll be a fantastic panel looking at ageing on screen. And as you say, this is a really, it feels like it's a really important moment um, in the cultural zeitgeist for women who aren't 25. Um, And so that that panel will be hosted again by Madeline Donano, but it will include um, Sigrid Thornton, Rachel Mazza, Sophie Hyde, and Anusha um, Zarkesh. So they'll be discussing what what ageing means uh, and how it's represented on screen and whether um, what we see on screen actually reflects society and our experience. Um, and yeah, and then there'll be another there'll be another panel which will be hosted by Carly Finlay, who um, is a writer and a speaker and a parents act- activist. And they'll be looking at um, bodies on screen. And what are the bodies, what what sort of bodies are represented on screen and what bodies aren't represented Mm. on screen, actually. Um, Taryn Brumfit will be there, Australian of the Year and body image activist. Um, Milo Hartill, a performer and a body acceptance advocate. And also Amy Marks, who's a filmmaker and disability advocate. So, again, sort of really going deep into... um, what are the things we see? What are the things we don't see? Um, and then we'll be working towards a kind of conclusion. And I think that's one of the things that we really want with the um, conference is to come away with um, a challenge and I guess a way forward. Like mm. what are the next steps that, what, what do we need to be doing um, to hold um, screen culture and ourselves um, to account actually yeah. to make sure that the stories that are being told are um equitable and that they you know represent who we are and all of our diversity I'm so it sounds like a very thorough lineup and a really fascinating uh, discussion points and panels I'm really pleased to see that there's intersectionality is such a uh, cornerstone of this exhibition Um, I did my PhD on disability and film so I'm very passionate about that Um, and I yeah it looks like a fantastic exhibition and conference I should mention that uh, the tickets are it is a ticket event for both the conference and the exhibition but the Matchbox Pictures are offering a number of free conference registrations for those who face financial and social barriers to attending so do head to Acme .net.au to see the full program and to book your tickets. Uh, Dr. Britt, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you so much for having me. On tonight's show, we we started with a, a chat with uh, Dr. Britt Romstad about the upcoming Acme exhibition, uh, Goddess. And now it is time, we're about to get into a review. But before we do that, um, I... Metro Magazine. So film nerds are likely familiar with Metro Magazine. Uh, Founded in 1964, it is Australia's oldest film and media periodical and it's um, known for well-informed, analytical and thought-provoking discussions and essays about screen culture. What listeners may not know is that Metro's future is in doubt. Uh, Affected by the cost of living crisis and the rising cost of print media, 
the Metro team are really struggling to run a major publication in an understaffed, non-government funded, not-for-profit. So in order to keep them going, the Metro team have set up a GoFundMe page. Now, full disclosure, I have written for a number of articles for Metro and um, I am a long-time reader of the magazine, so this is something I'm very passionate about. Uh, David, you are the editor of Metro, so you're one of the key figures in this campaign. Tell us how much you're hoping to raise and and why it's important that Metro is kept alive. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, it's um, it is a really precious publication. Um, you know, um, I've been editing it for three years now, um, and yeah, I mean, its focus on um, you know kind of Australian cinema in particular mm. is is what really sets it apart. I think there's a lot of um, film review sites out there um, that maybe have a bit more of an international focus. But, yeah, it's, it's probably the only publication where you can read kind of long-form, really considered, you know, articles on, on locally produced um, screen works. Um, so, yeah, uh, what we're looking for at the moment um, is $15,000, um, which will cover the, uh, the print run um, of our first issue for this year, which um, sadly is still at the printer. Um, that's kind of how dire things have gotten. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's it's a magnificent issue. Like, there's so many great contributions. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's it absolutely should see the light of day. Um, and we're also hoping to, um, very importantly, make sure that the writers get paid. Yeah. Um, uh, the writers put in, um, you know, so much amazing work into the, into the magazine. And, again, we live in a... You know, kind of um, industry at the moment where people don't always get paid for their work. Mm. Um, Especially within art, the art scene. Yeah, um, there's, there's sort of a bit of an assumption that people can't write for free, but yeah. um, it's always been very important to us to actually, you know, give them a competitive rate. Um, and, yeah, the magazine wouldn't be uh, what it is without that. Um, so, yeah, this, this is really just a temporary thing to tide us over for the next maybe three to six months. Um, we're exploring a lot of different options at the moment for, um, you know, future partnerships and, um, you know, philanthropy. Um, so we feel pretty confident that, like, second half of this year and onwards we'll be fine, but this is just to tide us over until then. Um, and, yeah, things are a little, little tense at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, um you know, if you would, uh, if you would like to know firstly more about the campaign um, or, or to make a donation, just go to the GoFundMe.com and it is under the Help Save Australia's Oldest Film Publication. Um, every dollar does count. It is now time for our first review of the night. It's possible you've already seen the film poster on street um, street corners or maybe at your local independent cinema. Uh, that image of a melancholy donkey is definitely very memorable. I am, of course, referring to Polish director Jerzy Skolomowski. I'm not going to... I've just... Skolomowski? Thank you. Oh, I might my be gosh. pronouncing this wrong. I, I don't <laughs> know. We need Cerise. Cerise is always um, excellent pronunciations. EO. So it won the jury prize at last year's Cannes Film Festival and now has a general release in cinemas here in Australia. David, what do you think of EO? Um, so, yes, I only just watched it today. Um, it's an extremely affecting uh, film, I think particularly so if you love animals. Um, it's uh, centred around this donkey uh, named Eo. Um, <laughs> we first meet him um, at a circus. Um, he's sort of uh, yeah, doing some kind of act with, um, uh, with a woman there who's very, uh, you know, obviously very much loves him and takes good care of him, mm. but we see that he's treated a little bit cruelly there as well. Um, uh, you know, the authorities descend, you know, it turns out they don't have, you know, kind of the, the permits or, you know, <laughs> whatever. So um, this kind of 
commences uh, or starts a kind of odyssey through, you know, different parts of Poland. Um, you know, he ends up um, in, in various locations. He's a, um, a football mascot in one sequence. <laughs> um, he um, ends up at a vet. Um, he almost ends up being sent to the slaughterhouse, but mm. um, events, you know, transpire that send him somewhere else. Um, the first film I think that it'll remind a lot of people of is Robert Bresson's Or Hazard Balthazar, um, which again... Yeah. Is it, it is based on that, isn't it? Or it's kind of um, inspired by that? Is well, that... I, I read an interview with Golomovsky and um, he sort of said that it wasn't like directly intended as a homage or remake, oh. but um, it's sort of the idea came to him first to, to make a film about animals suffering and he was, of course, familiar with that Bresson film, as so, so, um, so many people are. But, mm. um, but yeah, he, he wanted to do something that, um, that would highlight that and, um, and the donkey was the, uh, the animal he settled on. Um, well, the donkey is kind of perfect. It's really interesting how expressive the donkey is and it makes me think a bit of um, Lamb, the film from, oh, well, when was it? Late 2020, 2021, thank you, Um, where surprisingly there was so much information, uh, I I would say expressed, but maybe we're projecting on um, for these eyes. They're just such beautiful eyes on the donkey and and similar to lamb with the titular lamb, of course. But there's something really interesting, isn't it, about our relationship to animals and and the, what we can see in their faces. Yeah, absolutely. And and one thing I was thinking about while watching this film is um, how there's this real spectrum in cinema of um, you might say anthropomorphism. Mm, so mm. you know we're all familiar with um, films like Babe, you know, and then like certainly when we get into the realm of animation, you know, any number of Disney films with talking animals, um, where essentially we've got little humans, you know, yeah. like you know in animal form, yes. um, and they're acting as we more or less assume humans would do if they were these creatures. Um, and then you, you kind of go all the way over to a film like Or Hazard Balthazar or one I saw a few years ago, um, Le Quattro Volte by uh, Michelangelo Fremontino um, with goat in it. Um, and those films are kind of almost, uh, the animal's more like a mirror. You don't really mm. sort of identify so much or you, you might project things onto it. Mm. Um, Skolomovsky's doing something very interesting with EO where he, he doesn't mind, like, you know, doing outrageous things. Like, there's a, there's a scene where uh, EO's being taken away for the first time and you see a tear running down his cheek, which is, you know, um, I'm not actually Can sure. Can donkeys cry? I'm not sure if that's how donkeys <laughs> express their emotions. But, um, but yeah, there's actually there's a number of scenes like that mm. where it really signals that we're in melodramatic mode. Here, yes. Um, which is, you know, not a critique. It's very effective. Um, it's very moving. Well, um, we're in, in melodrama for many different... Um, reasons as well. I mean, there's some really fantastic shots. I, I don't know how other people would feel about this, but I actually loved those scenes where, you know, the saturated red lens, um, the weird robot dog. Are we going to go with is yeah. a dog? It's kind of a dog-like looking thing. Um, they're kind of odd uh, breaks or intermissions within the film, mm. which is otherwise this kind of rambling donkey's life uh, or journey through life, I should say. Um, really Curious film. Um, Stewie, I know you had some reservations. We're both, well, we're probably all animal lovers here. Um, you were a bit worried that there would be some uh, cruelty. And the film does open with a disclaimer of sorts saying this mm. film is, um, you know, in respect for animals. And it also finishes the film by saying no animals were mistreated during the making of this film. Um, what did you make of EO? Um, I'm still reeling from mm. it. I also saw it this morning. 
Um, it played at the Adelaide Film Festival last year and for me with film festivals there's always that one film that due to scheduling or um, just tickets getting bought really quickly you miss out on it and then for the rest of the few weeks following the festival all you hear about is this one film and how <laughs> totally. good it is yes and that was EO for me um, and my, I, I just want to give a shameless plug to my colleague Sage Walton um, who wrote the write-up to the Adelaide Film Festival on um, Senses of Cinema, and this was one of her main picks. Um, and she quotes um, a scholar, Anna Pick, uh, who, you, you know, writes on the relationship between humans and animals in film. Um, and she, uh, Sage writes um, that, in quoting Anna Pick, that um, uh, considering the animal as a flesh-and-blood being invested with its subjectivity and vulnerability is still a radical act. Mm. Such a consideration destabilises the binary that pits human intelligence or soulfulness against the animal, which uh, you know, that for me that sums up why the film is so moving is because with the way EO is shot um, and so much of it centres around their being and their vulnerability and, and their perspective um, and those soulful eyes mm. um, that the animal, like, you know, he does have soul, I find. And um, and David was right that so often we get these other representations of animals in film um, where they are anthropomorphised. I can never say that word. Um, but th this is a little bit different, I, I don't think, where... Um, you know, this donkey in, this, in its journey comes across so many other animals that, for whatever reason, they have names and they get treated differently mm. or um, they're nameless like how Eo is treated. Mm. Um, and therefore there's almost this justification and cruelty against them. Mm. Um, there's one harrowing scene in a fox fur farm that you, you don't see anything. No. But with the role of the camera and the score, it's just, it's like a horror film mm. in some parts. And um, we were talking before about the soulfulness of Eo's eyes, the sheer panic in those foxes' eyes. And I think you're right, Stewie, like obviously mm. no animals were mistreated, but the score, the lighting, everything about that, the editing, um, it's really distressing scene. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it is very, in some aspects, it's very, very similar to Ohazard Balthazar, um, particularly in the use of the eyes, I find. There's a scene in that film at the circus where um, the donkey is like looking at all of the other caged circus animals. Um, but in other respects, it's very, very different from that film. Mm. I mean, the, the use of editing and lights and that red filter that gets used and the score, it, it's, it's, um, it's very distressing but also, like, overwhelmingly beautiful yes. in other parts. Even of that final scene, and I won't give it away, that final scene, which is so harrowing, but it's still beautiful at the same time, that real kind of tension Mm. Yeah, I think there's so much to unpack in EO and uh, not to sound too wanky, but it's a real <laughs> cinema piece. Um, you know, like there's this real sense of this is something you should definitely watch on the big screen. I can see why it's performed so well in festivals. 
um, very philosophical, very uh, mesmerising film in a lot of ways. I'm still kind of – I saw it the other day and it's still kind of playing out in my mind. I would highly recommend um, that listeners do check this out. EO is currently playing at select uh, cinemas across Australia. Uh, You are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with David Heslin, Stewie Richards and myself, Flick Ford. Um, So in Hirokazu Kurita's – Broker, a young woman called So Young, leaves her baby Wulsang outside a baby box, which is a, a kind of safe drop-off for an unwanted infant who is um, who are then taken in by the church and adopted out or placed into orphanages. However, two workers intercept and Wusung is never passed on to the church group. And what follows is a very unlikely tale involving thugs, undercover cops, a laundromat and so young herself. Um, I think there's so much we could say about Coriator's work in general. Um, David, I know you haven't had a chance to watch Broker, but you are a fan of Coriator. Um, Shoplifters has got to be one of his best-known films. Um, what are your thoughts on on Broker? I know you haven't seen it yet, but... Um... Yeah, well, I'm, I'm very interested to see it, and, you know, particularly him working in this this new location of South Korea. And we know that um, there are a lot of kind of cultural differences between those two countries, um, different language. Um, Korea is an interesting director. Um, I actually have mixed feelings about his work oh, sometimes. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I assumed. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I want to uh, talk about it at all. My enthusiasm um, was, it was yeah, yeah, too powerful. Um, yeah. yeah, I, I find, um, he, yeah, he, he's a real humanist um, mm. and this, this really comes through in his films and I think that's probably the thing I connect with most. Um, and then there's a little bit of, um, I don't know what this is about me, I, a little bit of sentimentality. I oh, find. a huge amount of yeah. sentimentality. <laughs> um, and, yeah, there's a little bit of stacking of the decks I find sometimes yeah. with, with shoplifters as well. Yes. So it'd be, this seems like a similar kind of plot Yeah, line. I think that's really accurate. I, um, I I don't know how you feel about this, Stewie, but, Stewie, but I, I feel like it is very much in conversation with shoplifters and a really similar tone. And, yeah, it's not for everyone's taste. I think that sometimes, I agree with you, David, sometimes the sentimentality is a bit too much for me. Um, but I really enjoyed this one. Stewie, what did, what did you make of Broker? I understand you saw it last year as part of yeah, Adelaide Film Festival, right? Yes. Yeah, I saw it last year. So it's been a while since mm. I've seen it. Um, but even kind of in finishing that festival after seeing tons of films, it did fly under the radar oh, a lot last year. And in returning to thinking about it today, um, I, I did like it. Like, I did really enjoy the film. It is a very well-made film. It's uh, the same cinematographer as Parasite. Yeah, which um, is kind Hong, of Hong so Kong different, Ho. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, incredible, like, range there. Mm. Well, um, the trailer the trailer does say brought to you by the team who who, who made Parasite, which I think yeah. is quite a misleading prompt. It's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> yeah. Um, very um, different territory. Yeah. For me, the entire time watching it, I – it's constantly thinking of shoplifters. Mm, uh, yes. It's very, very similar themes where there is a collection of people who have done morally questionable things, um, but, you know, in this group of people who you know, we find sympathy for and we read as being very, you know, vulnerable but almost failed in a way, um, they find family in each other, but because of who they are and what they've done, that farm family can't continue or continue to function. And in that sense, um, 
I just kept on thinking, oh, Shoplifters was such a better film. <laughs> um, but it is a really interesting film because we have these two men who are basically, um, you know, stealing babies and yeah. selling them on the it's, black market. It's like two basically. men and a baby. Yeah, yeah, that's the setup. Yeah, well, and, not quite. That's a, that's simplifying it, but well, yeah, initially we get, at least. Yeah, we then we get another. Um, I think it's so young who is the woman who drops off the baby. She comes back wanting it um, because there is like a little kind of catch there where. Um, at the start of the film where if a baby gets left with a note saying that the mum's going to come back, that baby can't be adopted out. That's right. Um, And then it's something like one in 20 or something mothers do come back. But because of that note, that baby gets confined to orphanages Mm. and the system. So these men, even though they're selling babies on the black market, in a weird way the film tries to justify their actions because they're, saving these babies from orphanages. Well, yeah, I think the film does. Way. Yeah, the film kind of seems to skate around some of those moral questions. There it was a line that I had to double check and I still need to go back and watch it again um, where I do think it jars a little. It's, a, it's kind of an anti-abortion stance that I thought was hmm. a bit odd in this film and I don't think it's well placed. Um, I might need to re-watch it though and maybe I'll reconsider that opinion. But uh, it's an interesting premise and I, I actually really loved for something that sounds so dark as a material, you know, a baby being abandoned on a street, um, talking about, you know, visiting orphan- orphanages, trying to sell this baby on the black market. It sounds like it would be a dark film. It mm. is a very light and humorous film. And I think it's important that I can see why this may – it's surprising that it didn't – it kind of flew under the radar um, mm. because I think it seems like a really great film to play at festivals for that lightness, for that humour – a lot of the characters, they're actors who have played in, um, you know, probably quite well known and they are all quite charming in their own way and really do, they've got depth and they've got um, shades of difference. And I, I think I, lo- I really enjoyed that part of it, that they didn't have kind of the villains weren't too cardboard cut out, the heroes, yeah. and it actually blurs the whole thing anyhow. It does, So. Yeah. I actually really enjoyed that and it's quite open-ended in a lot of those different trajectories. It plays out as a bit of a road trip movie. Um, It really captivated me Mm. and maybe you just need to be in the right headspace. I agree with you, Stewie. Sometimes when you've watched so many films for a festival, you Mm. need something that's going to knock you out to really capture your attention. Um, And this film may be a bit too soft for that, but I, I personally was really... Uh, taken by it and uh, not my favorite film of the year but I, I just mm. it just was I think a really interesting premise and really yeah. well acted um, lots of interesting discussions about what it and that kind of the the long-term effects of what it means to know your parents or to um, that question of abandonment you know and I, I really enjoyed this um, subplot of these undercover detectives I won't say too much about them but I thought they were really drawn out um, drawn very well um, yeah. and it really interesting having two women in those roles um, I liked their kind of buddy cop uh, dynamic that was going on and all the food that they eat in the car I don't know yeah. relatable yeah. <laughs> very relatable um, yeah, Duna Bay plays um, uh, one of those cops the older cop who yes um, just has a very dry sense of humor she... in the way she talks to the younger cop <laughs> And she has a really great line, which I think is the one you're referring to. Um, don't have a baby if you can't look after it or something at the very, very start, mm. which is one of the first lines in the film, which 
is kind of a bit of a clanger, but I think it sets up those themes. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder yeah, how much well. of it is lost a bit in translation. Yep. You know, we're reading subtitles. I do yes. wonder whether there's a little bit more poeticism and subtlety in mm-hmm. um, for Korean audiences who are watching this and – I do think some of it is a bit lost in translation, uh, which is a shame because I think on the whole it's a very beautiful scene. The standout scene for me was personally when they're in uh, the Ferris wheel and I have to say that little kid, I haven't got his name in front of me right now, but he was adorable (laughs) and there was um, just a really beautiful, maybe kind of obvious imagery, but I, I I was on board with it. I thought it was a really lovely thing of creating a pause within the film and the car creates a pause. These little Ferris wheel capsules create a pause and, you know, things are kind of spinning out of control. So I, I found it really quite a beautifully composed and, and acted film. Um, maybe not to everyone's taste. No. Yeah. The, but, um, there's that really wonderful scene where they're going through the car wash. Yes. And Hajin, <laughs> the kid, Agent, that's uh, it. rolls down the window. <laughs> and it, like, it's such chaos. But yes. A lot of lightness and humour for yeah, sure. The um, film kind of builds that love between them really, really well. And very natural acting on screen, yeah. I have to say, and that's something, particularly with kids, you don't always get that all. With narratives like this where it's quite could be heavy-handed and a bit stale, I think there's a lot of liveliness to the um, interactions on screen. Yeah. And the um, the character So Young, who is the mother, she ends up going on the journey with them. She's a really fascinating character because so much of this pathos really does revolve around her I find Um, and out of all of the characters it's interesting that we have these you know two men who are literally selling babies but it's her that starts off as being almost like the most morally dubious character yeah Uh, and particularly for the cops watching her drop off the baby but then as the film develops it's the film is almost kind of punishing us for having those initial kind of judgments absolutely yeah Mm -hmm. there is a lot more going on in this film and if you'd like to see broker it is currently playing at select cinemas across australia uh you've been listening to primal screen on triple r with david heslin stewie richards and myself flick ford on tonight's show we spoke with dr Britt romstead the director of experience and engagement at acme about the upcoming exhibition goddess power glamour rebellion which is opening up this wednesday You can head to acme.net.au for the full program and to book your tickets. Uh, We also reviewed Jersey... Skolimovsky. Thank you. We're just going to edit that (laughs) live. EO, a tender and exceptionally cinematic story of a donkey navigating the world. And we finished with Broker, a South Korean drama about an abandoned baby in need of a family. Both films are currently screening at select cinemas around Australia. Earlier tonight, we also did mention the Metro campaign, uh, the GoFundMe page. Um, David, I think it's worth... You know, for people who are interested in checking out the magazine, do you want to share how they can have a look through the previous issues and, and yeah. get a hold of the next two? Um, so um, check out metromagazine.com.au. Um, we've got complete back issues on there. It's only $5 a month. Um, and, yeah, it's a, it's a great site. Um, subscribe, support oh, us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you've joined, uh, if you've missed any of tonight's show, you can listen back to the show online at rr.org.au. And while you're there, please, please, please do consider subscribing or donating to Triple R during April Amnesty if you value independent community radio. It, it really is your support that keeps us on air each week. 
Um, big thanks to Dr. Britt Romstad for her time. Thank you also to Luke Lay for editing our podcast and doing the socials. David and Stewie, thanks so much for your time tonight. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 